morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college basketball, the MLB, Formula One, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 184. Before we talk about the awesomeness that it's college basketball, the MLB trade deadline, or a little bit of Formula One, host Ariane has a trivia question for us. Yeah, so I found I found this one today, and I thought it was very interesting. Uh, two players in the NFL ever have won the receiving triple crown, which is re- catches recipes recep geez receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. Offensive player of the year and Super Bowl MVP. Do you know what those two wide receivers are? Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. Was that a yes? Sorry. Yes, Jerry Rice is one of them. Okay. Corey Holt. No. Okay. Uh, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is the second one. Yeah. I was on the right team. Good yeah, one. You were. Yeah. Good one, Wyatt. I was just like, those guys are not equal in fans' minds currently. If he can keep up what he did last year, I think he'll get much higher. But it's kind of funny. You have Jerry Rice, arguably the greatest wide receiver of all time. And then Cooper Cup, who, as much as two years ago, nobody really thought that much about and probably wasn't going up. I don't know, probably before the fourth or fifth round in fantasy drafts. And now he is first round for sure. Not going to lie, I kind of forgot about him. That's fair. Yeah, he was more uh, more fantasy relevant. Uh, so I, I saw his right. His dad has a fantasy football league, and they just give him Cooper Cup. You know, the rest of the league does. You know, just you know to be nice. But they said yeah. they're getting rid of that rule for next year. Just <laughs> like a good, a good choice. <laughs> Not having it anymore. But th- yeah, thank you, Ariane, for that. Yeah, that was that was really good. Uh, some respect on Cooper Cup's name now. And. I would agree with that. And speaking of respect, uh, your newfound blue blood of college basketball, uh, <laughs> we'll just we'll just uh, play into the hype for now. Omaha blue. We talked about it on the last episode or the or the one prior. Um, how it would it, his commitment to Iowa State would make it the best recruiting class in Iowa State history. Well, that has since been confirmed he did that on live television during the height during halftime of a high school basketball game uh announced or took out a hat took off a jacket and announced he was going to iowa state um for the 2023 class he is the what is it i forget he's a top 10 player in the nation nine in multiple yeah in multiple different recruiting um sites but overall this brings the 2023 iowa state class to number three in the nation uh according to 24 7 only behind you guessed it duke and kentucky and just ahead of uh connecticut oregon it's ahead of purdue as well so right where iowa state figures to slot in um in early recruiting rankings right so it, obviously, it's a huge win for this class for TJ. Uh, just two seasons ago, the team obviously being two and uh, twenty-two on the season, firing a head coach to two years later, securing the number three recruiting class in the nation for now. Uh, early on, is just a remarkable turnaround, um, and just goes to show. And what Omaha Baloo was talking about, the reason why he committed was 
the respect that he has for TJ, what he's doing, the vision that he has. And ultimately, you got to bring it back to Iowa State has a pedigree of getting players to the NBA. Um, and that's one thing that a lot of these a lot of these kids are looking for uh, is to develop their game at the next level to get to that next level for them. Uh, he obviously went to Iowa State ahead of or instead of KU, Oregon was on the list as well. And then uh, the G League was his other option. So that was a huge win for Iowa State being able to lock him down. And hopefully his NIL deal is good enough. Um, I would imagine he's getting at least something as a part of that commitment. So big win for TJ. Any any other thoughts from well, from you all? You mentioned Kansas, and I think it's worth noting that they currently have no recruits in the 2023 recruiting class. I don't know if there's intel floating on the insider insider channels about possible NCAA punishment coming to KU, um, as we've been um, expecting for some time now. I don't know if, if that might be happening and it's keeping recruits away. I don't know if maybe they're just getting a slow start. Just just something I observed and, and was slightly curious about with no recruits in 2023. I had also read an article that Bill Self and one of his top assistants were, were pulled off of the recruiting trail as well. Um, I don't know what that means, if they just had some other quote-unquote business to attend to, or if it was for some other reason. But it's definitely interesting to note that there are a few um, top-level KU targets uh, this season have decided to go elsewhere um, for for this year. So we'll see we'll see what that looks like for KU basketball and the Big 12. But overall, with Iowa State being good, it just helps improve the Big 12 conference um, alongside KU, Baylor, Texas Tech has been good um, as of late. Uh, just really adding to the depth that, that this league has to offer. So yeah, good for the I, basketball side. I think we're going to need to make sure that we have as much quality product as possible going forward with all this realignment. So definitely excited to see big gains by more or less anybody in the conference, but obviously us. And I think Mike was talking about it before. If this recruiting class stayed the way it is last year, it would have been 15th in the country. So already really good recruiting class if we don't get anything else, if all things shake out. So pretty exciting for sure. Obviously, Omaha's the highest recruit we've ever gotten. So if this can be a sign of things to come and not a flash in the pan, it'd be awesome. Um, obviously, you know, when you think about college basketball, you think Duke, Kentucky, and then Iowa State right behind them. So that seems right to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just just exactly what you'd expect. Yeah, the blue sure. blood schools, obviously. Mm-hmm. Except Iowa State's colors aren't blue. Thank God. I mean, I kind of like Wait, blue. Not as much that, as I like colors. That's false. We have tertiary blue. No, we don't. We haven't yeah. for like 20 years. I have never seen it. It doesn't exist. It, it does look sweet on merch, though. It does. Our tertiary color really... is like gray or black now, which is lame. I Get rid of the black it. uniforms. Yes, agreed. I... Agreed. Black uniforms are lame. I know that's you know not at all what we were talking about, but no, it's not. Not at all. But good job to Iowa State and TJ. But you know what wasn't lame was the MLB trade deadline, as it ended up turning turning into one of the most spicy, I might say, trade trade deadlines that we've had in quite a while. Uh, Starting out with arguably, and we'll we'll sit on this for a while and talk about the Padres as a whole, but 
Was this the biggest trade in MLB history in reference to Juan Soto being traded from the Washington Nationals to the San Diego Padres? If I would go as far as to say it was one of the biggest trades in history, baseball has a lot of history. Unlike the NBA, as Ariane uh, tweeted out, baseball has a lot of history. It's been around, but it has to be one of the biggest ones. Babe Ruth? Anybody? No? Not the biggest trade in uh, yeah. Okay, can, but we're you know. talking about we're talking about baseball that was never that we never saw, right? Well, you didn't say the biggest baseball in, trade of our lifetime. You said in, in history, thirty years, fifty. But years. is anyone alive anymore that's watched Babe Ruth play? Yeah, I don't know. Oh. When did? You, yeah, probably, but I don't know. They're maybe old, a few. but they're alive. Okay, I. But uh, maybe one of the biggest. I don't know. It was just a huge trade this season and one that had been rumored. But obviously, San Diego making this deal means that they are going to re-sign Juan Soto. And what's, what is it going to take, right? Half a billion dollars? Because he already turned down 14, or what was it, 12 years, 440 million? Yeah. I'm almost so, more yeah. interested to see what happens with the contract than I am to see the product on the field. Obviously, they're stacked. Big surprise. But well, we were yeah. talking about it earlier. Seems like the Padres never managed to do what they're supposed to do with the expectations. I mean, they're not going to win that division, right? I mean, not this year, ta- at least. That would take a lot for them to run down San Diego this year. They're making all these moves. The Dodgers. Oh, sorry, not the Dodgers. Diego, yeah. Yes, they are San Diego. Yeah. It would take a lot for them to run down the Dodgers this year. They're 12 games out right now. Um, so it just seems like that's, yeah, that's going to be tough to make happen. So they're playing for a wild card, which means what? They get a three-game series against like Atlanta, Philadelphia, or St. Louis? Like, I don't know. And most of their starting staff are free agents at the end of this year, too, if I understand correctly. So uh, Clevenger is a free agent after next season. You Darvish is under contract for one more season after this okay. one. Okay, so they um, do have one more year with at least Blake some. Snell, I, Blake Snell might be the one that is um, not under contract. Oh, he's under contract for two more seasons. But, man, those those are pricey start- starters, too. Blake Snell is under contract next year for $13 million. Uh, you Darvish was, I believe, is under contract for... Um, 20 some odd million and then mike clevenger is close to 10 million yeah darvish 19 million 18 million sorry and then um mike clevenger is the cheapest of the options but then they just re-signed joe musgrove to five years 100 million um they're soon to have based on whatever happens with juan soto it's projected they're going to be over 1 billion wrapped up in Three players between Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, and um, Juan, Soto. Juan Soto. All right. So, yeah, Clevenger and Manaya are free agents at the end of this year. I mean, I feel like we've seen before, uh, you know, the best player in baseball, uh, widely considered to be Mike Trout. And then you have, you add Shohei Otani onto there, and they're still not good enough to win. So, I feel like he's building this team like he's trying to build a basketball team. A couple big, big guys aren't going to get you over the hill by themselves. Not that their team isn't pretty good overall, but I just wonder if it's the best idea to have that much money in specific players rather than spreading it around. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. And they don't have much farm help anymore. 
Yeah. After trading away all the talent to get there. And I mean, what is trading all this away just to try and continue to taste chase the Dodgers? But we'll see. I they stayed busy. Obviously, they got uh Josh Bell as a part of that trade, uh, which was an interesting caveat as it was rumored that there or it was initially uh released that there was a major league player that would be sent in return uh it came out early in rumors that eric hosmer was originally part of one of those packages uh but eric hosmer had a no trade clause um in his contract which he executed and exercised because he obviously didn't want to go to a completely rebuilding washington nationals team uh in the end san diego was able to trade eric hosmer to boston so that they can actually use Blake or Josh Bell at first base. But San Diego is uh, going to have to pay down some of Eric Hosmer's contract, which uh, the rest of his salary for this year was $20 million guaranteed and then $13 million guaranteed for the next three seasons. Um, so they, they took another financial hit there. Obviously, money is just money, and they're just printing it <laughs> somewhere over in San Diego. So... Speaking of depleting the farm system for the Padres, they also uh, the Padres farm system. They also traded for Josh Hader, uh, all-star closer of the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, this being the first time since 2014 that an all-star was traded from a first-place team um, at the trade deadline. Uh, that first-place team, obviously, being the Milwaukee Brewers trading away Josh Hader. They did get in return Taylor Taylor Rogers, right, Mike? former closer of the twins. Yes. The Brewers did get Taylor Rogers back in that deal. So they got, they got a trailer or a trailer, a, a closer in the trade um, in return. But obviously there's speculation, not speculation. It's, it's clear on paper that Josh Hader has been better so far this season than Taylor Rogers. Uh, obviously Milwaukee was trying to get some return um, out of Josh Hader. And another one that threw, flew under the radar, they traded for utility slash base um, Brandon Drury from the Cincinnati Reds as well. So one of the busiest teams at the trade deadline that I can remember. They also picked up Cam Gallagher from the Royals as right. well yep, um, that's right correct. at the end of the deadline. So they busy, were busy. Busy day busy. for the Padres. Busy couple of days. And like we said, all that to to try and beat the Dodgers, which I don't know if they're going to be successful in that or not. Uh, time will tell. So moving on, though, Mike, Minnesota was active at the trade deadline. What are your what are your thoughts on on how the Twins performed? Yeah, I thought the Twins had a really good deadline, especially considering what um, their competition in the AL Central did. So the Twins traded Ty- for Tyler Mayle. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'll have to Mayley. figure that out. Mayle, Tyler Mayle, um, from Cincinnati, a starting pitcher who's been a little bit underwhelming this year, but um, has really good road splits. So if he can get out of the band box that is uh, was it Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, is that what it's called still? I think so, yeah. Get out of Cincinnati's ballpark. Um, Hopefully, could see him improve a little bit. Also got Michael Fulmer from the Tigers, who definitely must have known he was getting traded yesterday when he blew an eighth inning lead for the Tigers against the Twins. Um, so, you know, he was just helping his new team a day early. Um, and then they also got uh, 
Jorge Lopez from uh, the Orioles, the all-star closer. It was a bit of a surprise. Some thought the Orioles wouldn't sell since they're only about two and a half out of the wild card. But they did decide to at least do um, a little bit of a retool there um, and uh, and uh, move on from some players. I really like this deal for the Twins. They did this with only giving up one of their top ten prospects, that being Spencer Steer. Um, the rest were done for lesser prospects. They did end up giving up um, about eight uh, eight players overall on the deadline. One one off the major league roster, and then seven prospects of to varying degrees. But I think this was a big win for the Twins. Um, both Maley and and Lopez are under control for uh, next year, and Lopez for the year after even. So they help this year and next year. Um, with these moves. Um, yeah, I really like it considering Chicago did almost nothing at the deadline and Cleveland did actually nothing at the deadline. So the, twin, or the Twins definitely got better and the rest of the AL Central didn't. Um, so I, I like the Twins' chances now to, uh, to, to take the AL Central. It was very encouraging to, to see what they did. Very happy with how it went. Yeah, it seemed like a good good uh move for the twins as they continue to push um they have a lead in the al central right now uh and hopefully this pushes them over the hump and uh continues to um put a little bit of distance on that lead as well i was Uh, i would have assumed they would have had to give up more to get the kind of haul they did so i think yeah i think they did a good job i'm very surprised they were able to protect a lot of their top top uh prospect talent um for the most part so not for the most part, just in general. A good good day for the Twins. Fleeced a couple of teams, maybe. Who knows? I don't know if I'd go as far. The I Yankees. Think, I don't think anybody got fleeced. Maybe the Orioles did a little bit. But I think it was the other ones were fairly fair trades. The Twins just traded from positions they had strength in in the minor leagues. So they gave up more in prospects to give up less um, quality, more quantity, less quality. And they did it at um, positions that they have depth in. So. Yeah, very good for the Twins. Uh, mm-hmm. The Yankees, on the other hand, the best team in the AL East, uh, were looking to get even better uh, in this, this, um, tra- at this trade deadline. They needed some starting pitching and relief pitching help. They got that um, from the Oakland Athletics. Uh, they traded for, once Luis Castillo went to the Seattle Mariners, the best uh, starter off the board, um, they went for the second best and got Frankie, uh, and they also pulled in Luis Trevino as well to add some depth in the back end of their bullpen that's having some struggles right now. Uh, so it was good, good moves by the Yankees, and it was expected that they were gonna gonna land um, some talent like that. They also made a deal with the Royals to land Andrew Benintendi, who was an All Star this season, batting over 300 with the Royals. Um, playing really solid uh, defense as well. So that was a good pickup. They had some offensive or outfield um, issues uh, and they just got all around better defensively and another RBI guy to slot in behind the uh, Wombo combo of Judge and Anthony Rizzo right now for that team and really behind DJ LeMahieu as well. So a pretty, pretty uh, good top to bottom lineup in the batting order for the Yankees. Uh, then they added another outfielder. We'll get to that in a second um, in a trade that they made at 
near the 11th hour. And then they also traded away Joey Gallo, who they traded for at the trade deadline last season. That was an absolute failed experiment. Uh, Joey Gallo, since joining the Yankees, struck out more often than he hit home runs, which is normal, but it was at an extreme rate uh, hitting. I'll have to look up and see what he's hitting on baseball reference, which is Mike's favorite site to use. Uh, Absolutely. Everyone should use baseball reference for all things baseball stat related. It is the best. This they season, also have iterations of it for other sports too, FYI. So. Correct. This season, Joey Gallo is only batting 159 uh, with a 339 slugging percentage, only 12 home runs. He had 13 home runs all of last season while batting th- 160. He did own a higher slugging percentage of last season. Um, but his number of strikeouts, he's already eclipsed 20, 21s, uh, total of 88. He has 106 strikeouts in 233 at-bats. It's not great when you're striking out nearly half the time that you show up to the plate. So the Dodgers are hoping that they get the Joey Gallo of old. We'll see if that actually works for them or not. Uh, they can hide him a little bit more in, in the lineup out west than the Yankees can. So, Arian, the the Cardinals were were somewhat busy as well, right? Were you yeah, were you pleased with some, some of those moves. some of those moves? Overall, I thought it was good. Uh, there was some good, some bad. Um, the first move they made, uh, they sent shortstop Edmundo Sosa over to the Phillies for a left-handed pitcher named JoJo Romero, who was immediately optioned to AAA, which I thought was kind of interesting. But I guess they have just um, they've been called up. Former All-Star Paul DeYoung, uh, he was having a really rough season last year in the beginning of this year. was hitting like 160, but he's been hitting pretty well in the minors, so they called him back up. So kind of an odd move. I was a little bit surprised that we were trading for somebody that we were trying to just put down to the minors immediately if we're trying to catch up with the Brewers. Um, but we have a decent backup bring, coming in there, so hopefully that ends up. But I didn't love that move. It was okay. Uh, then they went ahead, and our biggest need was, I mean, we could have used a bat, but we really needed some starting pitching with the injuries to Mats and um, I'm blanking Jack Flaherty as well. Um, so we traded with our interconference rivals, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they received the Cardinals received Jose Quintana and reliever Chris Stratton, and they gave back reliever Johan Oviedo and a third base prospect Malcolm. I missed his first name, but uh, he's a prospect. And I think he was like number 10 on the Cardinals list, if I recall correctly. So that's good. A good pitcher. He's having a really good year this year. A little bit of a bounce back closer to what he's been. And then right at the end, as Kyle referenced, the Cardinals did make another trade with the Yankees. They got Jordan Montgomery, another left-handed pitcher. And then they traded away. I do not like this a lot. But we'll see how Jordan Montgomery does. They traded away Harrison Bader back to the Yankees. I'm a big Harrison Bader fan. He's a fantastic defender. Gold Glover last year. A pretty good hitter. He's just fun to watch in the field. And I feel like I just like to watch him. So I'm a little bit bummed that we traded him out. Uh, but I guess it'll be worth it if our rotation looks good and we go far into the postseason. Uh, overall, I think they did pretty well. It would have been nice to see us add somebody who could... Give us a little bit more hitting as well, but overall solid. I'm not as happy as Mike is, but I'm not unhappy at all. 
I think they made moves and they were trying to get better. So that's all you can really ask for. Yeah. Yep. They they did go for it, and that's good because they're not in a playoff spot if the season ended today. So they they do need to to do some work um, to catch up. Of course, there were a lot of other trades across Major League Baseball. We can't get to all of them. There were just too many. But before we move on, um, I want to give uh, Kyle and Wyatt um, a chance to talk about their teams as well, um, since Ariane and I had our chances. Kyle, what do you think about the the Royals trades? They they traded away Cam Gallagher, um, as well as Whit Merrifield. I don't know if they had any other deals, but I just wanted to give you give you a chance to give your thoughts. Yeah, early on they um, traded away Carlos Santana. That was one of the early trades. I was I was very happy about that. Um, they also traded for a starting pitcher from the Diamondbacks, Luke Weaver. Um, dumping Emmanuel Rivera to the Diamondbacks. Dumping, that's a horrible word. Trading Rivera to the Diamondbacks. It frees up some space for Rivera to get some playing time uh, as he was kind of slotted behind um, a misfit of third base uh, rotational players at the time being um, while not hitting as well. So it kind of frees him up a little bit and gives Kansas City what they really need, which is more pitching depth. Um, I was surprised... The Whit Merrifield deal surprised me just because I didn't know if any teams actually were willing to trade for him uh, and give a decent return um, for him. I think it was a good move by the Royals just to to kind of shed that that contract and um, get some at least prospects in return for it. Uh, frees up some space for the young guys to come up and get some some playing time, which is really what the Royals are needing right now. I was surprised uh, that the back end of the bullpen. Uh, was not traded away, that being Josh Stamont uh, and Scott Barlow, one of the two better pitching, uh, relief pitching options that the Royals have. I thought the market would be a little bit hotter for them, um, but I guess the Royals' asking price was still a little bit too steep as they do have um, a fair amount of team control left over. Uh, so that's probably why um, their their trade market just seemed to drop off a little bit. So overall, I was pretty pretty happy with what the Royals were, were doing. Just kind of get the, get the young guys up right now. Wyatt, what about your thoughts on what the Cubs did or lack thereof? I know there was talk that uh, Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ would get traded, um, and that never happened. Do you have any thoughts on the Cubs trade deadline? I mean, I can't believe that we traded away uh, Scott. Uh, was it Efros? I think was his name. Rookie, uh, rookie pitcher. We've been for a while to the Yankees. And that's pretty much all that they did. It seems like they got rid of a player in uh, in exchange for an MLB ready player, which is fine. I, I just I'm not too surprised that the Cubs are in a very abysmal state at the moment. So I didn't expect a whole lot out of the trade deadline, but it would have been nice to get some more talent out of there for, like you said, for Hap and, and Contreras specifically it would have been worth something. But it is what it is. I mean, I guess you can, you can slap the qualifying offer on Contreras and get a draft pick for him if he doesn't sign. So. Yeah, I suppose that seems like the most logical thing to do now at this point. Yeah, that's probably what I would do. But anyway, yeah, that was the trade deadline. It was exciting. I know by the end of the day, my phone was almost dead because I was refreshing Twitter so often during the day, trying to catch the latest trade rumors. So yeah, it was it was a heck of a trade deadline. It was a lot of fun. I I enjoy the MLB trade deadline. It's by far the best in sports, and nobody's going to tell me otherwise. So. The, ML, the, the NBA is pretty close, but this one was definitely really fun. I love trade deadlines in general. It's just so fun. It's about the 
the deadline. It's just like, when's it going to happen? It has to happen. I feel like the NFL is the worst. I feel like yeah. nothing ever happens. Agreed. Yeah, I definitely agree that the NFL has the worst trade deadline. That's that's for sure. But yeah, it was very fun. Um, unfortunately, um, it's, it only happens once a year. So now all you get is the stretch run, and, and we are definitely into that stretch run now. So we'll uh, keep you informed on how the rest of the season shakes out as we go. But uh, I believe F1 is now um, approaching this. Uh, I was now at the summer break since the Hungarian Grand Prix happened this past weekend. Kylan Wyatt, you want to fill us in on the world of F1? Yeah, so we are in the summer break. It's a four-week break now until the Belgian Grand Prix in uh, the end of August. Before we talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix, though, uh, quick news. Sebastian Vettel, a former F1 world champion and veteran driver, announced that he's going to retire at the end of the season, um, which, I mean, it, it's sad to see him go. I'm a big Sebastian Vettel guy, especially when he was at Ferrari, even though it completely destroyed him the five years that he was there. It was awesome to see him racing in red. Shockingly, Fernando Alonso is going to take Sebastian Vettel's spot, another veteran driver at Ashton Martin, which was kind of, it seemed to me anyway, like a spur-of-the-moment decision. Very dramatic. Um, Ashton Martin was not expecting to lose Alonso, especially not just like that. I mean, he was essentially headhunted, it seemed like. Wild. And in a weird turn of events, um, Alpine posted a social media thing said that Oscar Piastri was going to be their driver for 2023, replacing uh, Fernando Alonso. Uh, Piastri is a former F2 champion last year and is a reserve driver for Alpine. So they posted this thing on their social media, said, yeah, he's going to come drive for us now. Uh, And then Piastri was like, absolutely not. I'm not racing for you next year, which raises concerns. Where is he going to go? Because he's going somewhere. He's a very talented driver. Um, And it seems like the rumor mill is spinning that he's going to sign with McLaren. And since McLaren has uh, openly said that they are not a big fan, well, Zach Brown specifically said that he's not a big fan of uh, Daniel Ricardo and vice versa. Uh, to me, it could seem like that Danny Rick might go back to Alpine now in the Piastri to McLaren. But regardless of whatever happens, Drive to Survive next year is going to be uh, stupidly dramatic, like more so than it already is. So stay tuned for that if you're a big DTS fan. Hungarian Grand Prix, Grand Prix did just happen, um, so we'll do a quick recap of that. Hungarian is notoriously difficult to pass on, mind you. It's not nearly as bad as Monaco, but it is a very small track. Lots of tight, tight uh, corners, nothing like a Circuit Paul Ricard like we saw uh, last week with big straights, really fast stuff. Pirelli gave us the C2 as our hard compound tire. The C3 is our medium and C4 is our soft, which was the exact same tire setup that we saw for the French Grand Prix. Track temperature here was much cooler than it was at the start of the race, at about 80 degrees, uh, which was about 20 degrees cooler than it was during qualifying. So a huge shift in track temperatures from the day previous to race day, which always keeps things a little bit spicy for the teams. Speaking of qualifying, um, most notable grid lineup here for the race was that Pierre Gasly started from the pit lane to a power unit swap. He did qualify in like 20th anyway. He barely, he didn't make it out of Q1. Um, swapped his power unit out for a new one, which normally would just result in a grid penalty, which means he would just start at the back of the pack like usual. However, Alpha Tari didn't actually get approval from the FIA to swap his power unit. Uh, even if you do it and, and incur a penalty, you have to inform and get permission from the FIA to do that. Since they didn't get that permission, he actually had to start from the back of the pit lane, which is even worse than starting at the back of the grid. Stappen incurred uh, no penalty. 
swapping his MGUK out on his power unit. Drivers are given, or, or teams are given up to like three power unit swaps per season. This was Verstappen's second or third, I believe. Uh, so he has a new power unit and ended up starting 10th after not making out a Q2 due to an MGUK issue. Uh, if you recall, the MGUK is a part of the power unit that takes power from um, the drive shaft of the car, a K for kinetic energy, and stores that energy in a battery that they can use to propel themselves later on down the race. Uh, Lewis Hamilton came in at seventh place, didn't qualify super well. Leclerc in third and Sainz in second, so Ferrari strong at the top there. And then George Russell taking that pole position for the Hungarian Grand Prix. We did see a, a weird mix of tire compounds as well uh, throughout qualifying and thus into the race. So uh, of those last four that I just mentioned, Verstappen started on some softs, Hamilton on some softs, Leclerc and Sainz both on mediums and then uh, Russell back on softs. Tires are going to be the name of the game, especially towards the end of the Grand Prix as we get into it. Four lights out, there was a huge concern about rain. Um, spoiler alert, it didn't rain, except for Ferrari fans, where it just rained pain. Lap one, lights out, and away we go. We had a virtual safety car, which means that the drivers can only drive at 40% of the normal pace, and they can't pass. Uh, this was towards the end of the lap, and it was due to some debris on the track after a collision from uh, Alex Albon and Sebastian Vettel. Uh, during the middle of the race there was no penalty issued for that it was just uh racing you know putting some tires normal racing stuff nothing penalty worthy we did see an awesome battle for first place between charles leclerc and george russell where leclerc ended up diving in um on turn one down the straight with drs to eventually clinch that first place position this was around lap 30 uh, prior to this there was a really cool battle for fourth place uh between lando norris Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Keep in mind, Verstappen started in 10th and had to work his way up the pack. Uh, really cool to see him doing some driving like that. We love to see fast cars in the middle of the pack with the uh, normal middle of the packers like McLaren. Ferrari, as we have talked about previously, has no strategy. It's not entirely the case, I suppose, for the Hungarian Grand Prix. They did have a strategy. I just don't know why they chose this strategy. So to start, they both started on mediums, as we talked about earlier, the medium compound tire. Um, Pirelli assumed that it would take about 26 laps before you would need to replace these tires out. Um, Pirelli actually designs the tires to wear out at a set interval, so you can kind of take their, uh, their guesstimates as to when you should pit, I suppose. And depending on when you pit, um, or deciding when to pit, I guess I should say, is part of your racing strategy. You can gain a certain advantage with an undercut versus an overcut. Um, and obviously pitting during a safety car or something would be would be ideal, uh, even though none of these actually happened. So they box Carlos signs on lap 16, uh, which was before most of the soft tires even started pitting. But this was actually a dummy call. They did it while it was signs Claire and George Russell coming around the corner to box and uh, Mercedes either fell for it or were actually planning on bringing Russell in and uh, actually boxed Russell and then threw a set of medium tires on him. So he went from softs to mediums. And then a lap happened and they actually do pick Carlos Sainz, which I don't understand. Uh, they decided to go for an overcut because Mercedes had a bit of an issue with that pit stop. They were a bit slower than normal, which is fine. However, Ferrari was no faster and they gained literally nothing out of this. And they only put a new set of mediums on Sainz anyway. So if I, I just don't understand why they they did this to begin with. I don't know. Very weird. So they decided to do a two-stop then. 
and put Leclerc on mediums on lap 21, which was about the time these tires were actually wearing out. So a lot better than lap 16, lap 17 when they pitted signs, but still I feel like it was not a good idea uh, to go for that. Claire then comes in on lap 40. So normal racing happens in between time. We don't, uh, not a whole lot happens, I guess. And they put Charles Leclerc on the hard compound tires, which is absolutely mind boggling. Two teams threw on the hards, Haas and Alpine, and they were much slower than they were on their previously medium compound tires. Apparently, Ferrari is running the numbers. They're running simulations uh, on the pit wall that essentially said that the hard compound tires would take a while to warm up, so he's going to be slow for the next 10 laps, so up until about lap 50, lap 55 or so, and they're going to kick in, and he's going to be super fast to the end of the race. Keep in mind, this race is 70 laps. So they throw the hards on him, and guess what? He was slower, lap after lap after lap. He went from being the race leader at one point to finishing in um, sixth place because they throw hard compound tires on for absolutely no reason. I I don't understand. This just completely destroyed his pace. And there was another separate issue. It wasn't just tires that cost him this race. They actually had an issue with their car, the F-175. Allegedly, it's not functioning as it should have. But Ferrari is a disaster class at race strategy. Why on earth would you choose to throw on a compound, a tire compound that only three or four of the drivers in the race have used that have destroyed their pace when they're using it? Why do you think that they would work better? I just, I don't understand. It, it makes no sense to me. Most of the highlights of the race, the final standings were Max Verstappen for 25 points, Lewis Hamilton for 19, George Russell for 15, Carlos Sainz for 12, uh, Sergio Perez for 10, Charles Leclerc for eight, uh, Lando Norris for six points, Fernando Alonso for four, Esteban Ocon for two, and then Sebastian Vettel, the aforementioned race veteran who will be retiring at the end of the season for one point. This keeps Max Verstappen at a solid 80 points ahead of Charles Leclerc in the World Drivers' Championship and then puts Red Bull Racing 97 points of Ferrari. So short of Kyle's predicted 100 or more that they will win by at the end of the season, but pretty darn close. Ferrari is also 30 points ahead of Mercedes. Uh, so they're catching up as well. Uh, the last three total points Ferrari scored for the last three Grand Prix was 38 points, 11 points, and then, then 20 points this past race. Uh, in contrast, Mercedes has had 33, 33, and 34 points. So they're catching up very, very quickly. Anything to, to add or any other insights that you had watching the race this past week, Kyle? Uh, it's it's more of the same with Ferrari that you've already touched on. Um, the you would think that seeing both hard tires go on um, the Alpines during the race and also Haas going to the hard compound very early on with K-Mag um, and that not working, Ferrari would have said, uh, I don't think we can use the hard compound tire because that hard compound tire is not working. It, obviously, they thought, you know, we have more pace, more downforce, whatever, it'll work. Just stick to what everyone else is using when you're up at the front. You don't you don't switch onto that hard compound tire at that point. And just the timing of their pit stops is just erroneous. Like that was abysmal. I, I don't know. I don't know. The only thing they can save Ferrari right now is themselves, I guess. Just completely tearing it all down and starting over. You know, the race engineers. I think Benito needs to go after this abysmal of a year. You just, this was a year where Ferrari at the beginning of the season had Red Bull cooked and it just has fallen so far from glory. 
uh, from the beginning of the season that at this point, you're just scratching your head like it's Red Bull's year to win at this point. And at this point, Ferrari's going to finish third so, because Mercedes has figured it out. This might be a dumb question, but why does the, the tire matter so much? It's just friction. So there was too much friction with the hard tires. Is that, that the case? Is that why they were so, slower? A lot of it is the temperature that you get into the tires to get better traction. Like Charles Leclerc in that first corner after putting on the hard tires, it looked like he was driving on ice. As much as that um, car was fishtailing and spinning the tires trying to put the put the power down because of how quickly these cars put that power down. So the harder the compound of tire, the less grip it generally has or the less grip that you can get out of the tire. Uh, but the longer the tire lasts and essentially what they were saying ferrari was saying was that after 10 laps or so the tires will be sufficiently warm to have enough grip uh to finish the race at a really good pace but that never happened because the tires the, the hotter a tire is or the hotter the track is on the tire uh, the more grippy they get so if you watch nascar or even formula one at the beginning of a race you'll see them jerking their steering wheel back really hard left to right you generate friction on the rubber uh to keep the rubber warm while they're uh, on the formation lap or something or, or nascar's race uh, for a pending restart and since they threw that hard compound tire on they were never able to get enough heat in it or the track wasn't hot enough to keep them grippy enough for charles leclerc to actually make good pace around the track he just didn't have so enough had, traction had to slow down too much on turns essentially without the traction or even yeah. on the straightaways didn't get enough and speed yeah straightaway is not enough speed because they couldn't put the power down because they were you know, spinning too much, trying to apply apply power after a turn. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. And uh, now I understand the physics. Of course. Any other questions about Formula One as we wrap up the Hungarian Grand Prix? Yeah. Can we fire Benito? Do we have that power? I feel bad because he's such a nice guy, but I, like, hey, the results you know, over the past three, four years, three years. It's well, Christian Horner is an absolute. Christian Horner is an absolute dick, and it won them a championship last year. So, you know, maybe Ferrari needs to take a note from that playbook. Or they could just be good. Like, you can be nice and be good. Make sound decisions. I just want to give props for uh, using the word erroneous and abysmal in that section. So, good job with the uh, the vocab words there. Here at the 8311Cast, we strive to expand our... Um exude an expanding nomenclature to utilize uh, yes <laughs> very well done Beautiful. very well done premier midwestern based sports podcast it's not in the midwest though belgium the belgian grand prix will be august 28th at 8 a.m that's a four-week break now until then that will conclude our formula one section mike i believe you have some rules for us I do, just like uh, Wyatt and Kyle try to expand your vocabulary, I always like to expand your rules knowledge every week. Today we're going to talk about the netting in baseball. So, as I'm sure many of you know, over the last three to five years or so, baseball has done um, a good job of expanding the protective netting in between the playing field and the, the, the stands out further. Um, to keep the fans safe after some high-profile injuries from foul balls. Um, but of course, that has brought up the situation where then the players are coming into contact with the netting more often um, than they were when it was just behind home plate. So I figured I'd talk about um, 
how the netting um, affects play and things like that. So first of all, any ball that hits the netting, as soon as a ball hits the netting, it is dead. You cannot play a ball off the netting, whether it's batted, whether it's thrown, anything. A ball off the netting is dead. And then depending on the situation, um, it applies from there. Now, there's nothing saying that a player cannot reach either around the netting or over the netting if there's a case, or move the netting. The player can touch the netting. So, for example, if there's a foul pop-up right close to the netting, it is theoretically possible for the player to push the netting out of the way so the ball doesn't hit it, and then catch it. That is legal. The player can contact the netting. So that, that this came up in a game between the Twins and Padres um, just recently where it was uh, Eric Hosmer, who we talked about earlier, uh, a foul pop-up on the first base side, tried to push the netting out of the way in order to avoid um, having the foul ball hit it. Now, um, in the end, the ball hit the netting anyway after replay review, so he didn't get it. But it was interesting. I did not realize that the players could move the netting, and that would still be legal. So you could also theoretically reach under the netting, I guess, to catch a foul ball as long as it doesn't make contact with the netting. So The netting kills the ball but doesn't kill the player. Exactly. So you can manipulate the netting, which I thought was interesting. Any, qu- any other questions about the netting, how it influences things, anything? Mm-mm. No, y'all get the netting? All right, sounds good. I was, I was interested by that. So there you go. Moving right along to our predictions segment, um, there's actually a fair amount coming off the board, and it was actually okay-ish. Um, it was an above-average um, week for us in our prediction, um, but it didn't start off very well. Josh predicted back at the beginning of the season that the Cincinnati Reds would not win more than, um, if, than 40 games this year. The Reds are now 41 and 61, um, so they have won more than 40 games. So Josh gets a nah. Nah, nah, nah. Wyatt predicted that the Reds would never leave the bottom of the NL Central. They did that this last week. Um, they passed the Pirates. All of us assumed it would be the Cubs that they'd pass if they passed anybody. But after tying the Cubs a couple of times, they ended up actually passing the Pirates to get out of last place. Um, so they're currently in fourth place. So for that, Wyatt gets a meh. Kyle predicted a little bit ago or a couple weeks ago that uh, Omaha Baloo would commit to the Cyclones, which as we talked about did happen. So ding 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 I predicted that the Twins will trade for at least two pitchers at the trade deadline. Um, they did end up trading for three pitchers, and three is greater than two. Um, so for that, I get a ding 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 Ding. ding, ding, ding. Then we'll finish it up with Ariane predicting the Cardinals would make more trades than the Twins at the deadline. Uh, they did not. They both made three trades by our count, um, and three is not more than three, so Ariane gets a <laughs> That is it for our accountability session. So I will um, go put some predictions back on the board. Um, and I'm going to go high based on the, the trade deadline today. And I know I have a prediction on the board already that the Twins will win the Central. Now I'm going to go and say that they'll win it by eight or more games. They currently have a one-game lead in the Central for, for those who are following along at home. One game over the Indians. Or what, three and a half back? 
yeah, one game lead over the Guardians, three game lead over the Sox, and Kansas City and Detroit are buried. Yeah. Seems unlikely to me, no? What did we give you for winning? Let's see here. At the time, at, it was very near the beginning of the season, but you gave me a single for <laughs> saying that. So that, I feel that's really, I'm not very happy about that, I guess, now that I look back. But anyway. We just really felt confident in your team, I guess. Um, yeah, we okay. did. Even though none of us picked them to <laughs> win the division, yeah. um, I'd say what, like well, a triple? Yeah. So according, I'm, I'm to, between a triple and a double. So, yeah, I'm not I sure was... it's updated for the start since the trade deadline, but both FanGraphs and 538 um, still have the Twins. 538 has the Twins projected to win the division by one game, and uh, FanGraphs has it to lose the division by one game. So, I was gonna say triple. Triple works for me. Think, I still think they're better, and they made obviously more moves. Do those moves pan out? Who knows? But they made more moves. Eight games is a big spread, though, to to open up. Yeah, you have to, yeah. You have gained seven games on the Guardians in the last two months. I was gonna say there are three, one, two. There are three divisions where the division leader is leading by over eight games, and that's the historically good Yankees. Uh, you have the Los Angeles Dodgers and then the Houston Astros. So, I mean, those teams are all really good. The Mariners aren't great, but I, I, I would give it a triple. Yeah, I would agree with that. Triple it is. I'm fine with that. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He's still alive. He is uh, still digesting that uh, Josh Hader trade. I think he was shocked like the rest of us that they traded him. Like I said, it was a first, an all-star being traded from a first-place club at the deadline, but it happened. But uh, with that shock, he did not uh, make a prediction this week. He's going to take another strikeout. Okay, so for my prediction, like, hear me out. I'm in the football mood, getting ready for a high school football season here. And I'm going to say that Texas is going to be Alabama in week two and then lose to UTSA in week three. So we're going to get a whole week of Texas's back, baby, until they lose disgustingly easy game. So let me see. I'm, I, I can probably find this on the uh, football power index. Let me see here. Big 12, Texas. So according to the football power index, Texas has a 25% chance to beat Alabama. And a 92.4% chance to beat UTSA. So if I do quick math here, 25 and 7.5, there's basically a 2% chance that this happens, according to ESPN's Football Power Index. So single? <laughs> yeah, that's usually what we do for 2%, I feel like. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, that seems like an... Even before you said anything or any of the math, uh, yeah, home run. Yeah, I agree. Max yeah. says home run. Yeah, Easy. Uh, I'm saying that there will be at least two rookie drivers in seats next season in Formula One. So I previously talked about how Piastri might be going to McLaren, maybe. So that will be one of your two. But Daniel Ricciardo is under contract with McLaren for next season. Yeah, Zach Brown said that they have ways out of that contract, though. 
I agree he said that, but it's still worth noting the, for the yeah, record that's true. that Daniel Ricardo is under contract with McLaren. So technically that seat is not available. I think it's going to be. So for you two, Daniel Ricardo hates McLaren. Uh, he doesn't McLaren like their hates car Daniel and, Ricardo. Yeah, exactly. And the CEO of the team, Zach Brown, said, we have ways of the contract of um, basically keeping us together and we have ways of getting us apart. So to me, that, that reads as though they're probably going to get rid of him. To both their team. I don't know who the other um, other rookie would be, though. So we're going to have a couple open spots. Um, Ross has a spot right now. Al- Alpine has a spot. I think Williams um, only signed their Alpha Romeo. Alpha Romeo has a spot. And oh, yeah, then Williams, yeah. both of Williams' spots are open. Technically, yeah. Um, maybe? Alpha... Alpha Terry has a spot open, technically. Um, I don't know. This is like at least a double. What do, so what are you historically, for? for for both Ariane and and Mike here, most of the times, the, the most recent that we've seen two rookie drivers in the same season is what currently this. It was it last season. This with season we Nick had Schumacher. Season we had, or yeah, last season we had three, right? We had um, Yuki, Mick, and Maze Spin. And this year there's only Joe Gwen Yu. Yep. That's a rookie. And next so. year, assuming the whole McLaren thing happens, we have Piastri and maybe like, uh, who's the, the reserve driver for Pato Ward, the IndyCar driver? That guy. And then there's but another one too. He's, he's on McLaren's IndyCar team. That doesn't mean anything. Piastri is well, a reserve McLaren, driver for Alpine. Well, when McLaren has a 75% stake in that McLaren IndyCar team. Piastri is the current reserve driver for Alpine, and he's piecing out. Yeah, because Alpine is not it. But Herda, Herda was the other guy I was thinking about. Maybe Vips? Uh, probably not next year. I'm, I, 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 double, double or triple? You convinced me to do a triple. I would say triple. Yeah, I think you they're just gonna. You don't get to vote on your own prediction. I was hoping for a triple <laughs> because they're just gonna basically pick and choose from all the drivers this year. I feel like, except for Piastri. If you I mean, made this prediction before Alonso decided he was going to um, Ashton Martin, I would absolutely give you a triple, probably a home run. However, in my mind Piastri is definitely going to McLaren. I think this is a double. Uh, well, we're guaranteed to have one, of course, because of the retirement of Vettel. But yeah, Piastri will definitely be in Formula One. It's just fair. I say whatever Wyatt says. I'll say triple. Oh, dang it! Wait, okay, so that, that's a majority. So that, that's a double. Yeah, if you say double and Ariane says whatever you say, it doesn't matter what I say. But that's a high double. That's like a. Uh... That's a super high double. That's a really high yeah. double. <laughs> it is. It's not. It's not a triple though. It's close, but not quite. You got our end. That's a double where I got thrown out at third. That's right. Last. You did. You almost <laughs> made it, but not quite. But you had the guts to try. That's what matters. Exactly. Was it this? Was it the second out or the first or third out or the fourth uh, out? It was the. It was the second out. Okay, then it's okay. It was All the right. second out, and it was a. It was a weird carom off the wall that helped him. Okay. I am taking advantage. We recently reviewed the rules. I will be making more than one prediction this week because I feel like it. Uh, my first prediction is that neither Quintana or Montgomery, the two pitchers that the Cardinals both traded for, 
uh, will take a loss in their first starts with the Cardinals. I also want to get some predictions on the board that like come off. I feel like we're doing a lot of long-term ones. Well, the Cardinals win over 50% of their games. A pitcher can't get a loss if they win. Chances are those starts will probably come against the Yankees. The Yankees or the Rockies, I think. Um, that's a, there's a big difference between the Yankees and the Rockies. Yes, there is. <laughs> I'm not sure how they're slotting into the rotation yet, obviously. I can maybe find out on Jordan Montgomery here real quick. Let's see. I would Jordan Montgomery last, both of them. last pitched against the Royals, I believe, on Saturday. So he's going to need at least five days. Right, that would slot him in Friday. Our next three games, we have uh, Wainwright's pitching tonight, then Michaelis, and then uh, I can't remember his name right now, but they're, they, they seem pretty locked in. After that, I could see him switching things up potentially. To me, this seems like a double, single or double. I was going to say double because are you saying that they have to win in their first start? Like no, they, they just don't. They just, oh, won't they just don't take the loss. Just I started win with them winning. No, winner and, and no then decision. I was out. <laughs> win or no decision. Yeah. Is one of them playing the Yankees? At Is least one, of, one them? of them will probably play the Yankees, if not both. Okay. I if, they're, if they're both playing the Rockies, I was going to say single. But I think since one of them's likely to face the Yankees, I'll say double. Board. Okay. Well, it that is. sounds good. You've, you've got one. You said you wanted a second prediction, Ariane. That is allowed. Oh, yeah. I'm going for it this week. And I'm going to make the first, well, the first off the board NFL prediction for this year. I don't remember if we've made any NFL predictions so far. I some, yes. The first NFL preseason game is going to be on the fourth this week. Uh, it's going to be the Raiders okay. versus the Jaguars. Coming up quick. I didn't realize it. Neither did I. But I am going to predict that the Raiders will beat the Jaguars on the 4th on, what is that, Thursday? Thursday night football. We're going to have our first football game of the year. I'm pretty excited. I mean, is this is just a, a single? I don't know. It's a pre- It's the first preseason game. Nobody knows what's going on. I don't have I don't know, yeah, I don't know what happens. Yeah, what's going on. I'm glad to cause a little confusion. We'll go single just because I have no idea what else to do unless somebody objects. No, no, I that's pretty much what I was expecting. Don't object. I feel like anytime you say X team will beat the Jaguars, probably a single. <laughs> Fair enough. Four predictions and a strikeout. That concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 184 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around, and we'll see you again oh, next week. Oh, we got week. the cycle. We did? No, we didn't. Single, double, triple home run. Oh, yeah. Your last prediction was a single. We hit the cycle. Maybe we'll hit the cycle next week in episode 185. But until then, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. Ariane Barry. And Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.